as we look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, this, this kind of central region of Turkey, uh, we're going to go through it uh, sort of bit by bit each week, and we'll look at uh, a few verses each week, probably not like a whole lengthy passage, but just to kind of give you an idea of what we'll be then following up and exploring in our groups together. And, uh, you know, I want to ask you this question at the beginning. Do you ever struggle uh, with when you're writing a letter or you're writing an email and it's an important one and you, maybe you're, you're doing a mass communication to a few people or something and you think, what's my opening line? It's something I struggle with when I'm writing emails to you as a church. And I'm thinking, okay, what do I say? I hope you're well. Have you been enjoying the weather? Like, I want to get to the reason I'm, I'm writing, um, but I also want to not just get straight into it, right? I want to have a bit of an intro and a bit of a welcome. Um, and as, we've, as, we, as we read the first few verses of this book, I want you to just sort of pay attention to what the apostle, Paul, who wrote this letter to these churches that he had started and he had preached in that area, Look at his, his opening lines, and um, we'll just talk about that in a few minutes, but it starts out, it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. You know, what Paul's doing, and you perhaps only notice this if you maybe take your phone and go to the Bible app and you compare the different letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to different churches. You can see the different ways that he started his letter. And this one was particularly unique because he's intentionally stamping his authority at the beginning of this letter, right at the start. He's saying, listen, I'm Paul, I'm not sent by men. And he says, I'm not sent by a man, as in he's not sent by a, a group of people like a committee or a political group or anything like that that voted yay or nay to, to have him send the letter or to, to be sent out. But he says, I'm not sent by a man. I'm not, it's no, no individual commissioned me. Nobody paid me to do this. But he says, I'm sent by God. He's highlighting the fact that the reason he's sending this letter and the reason he's doing everything he's doing as an apostle to, to going around um, that part of the world preaching and starting churches is because God directly called him and asked him to do it. He had this experience with God on what's known as the Damascus Road, where, where as a person who was completely anti-God, he was a Pharisee, he'd been present when, when one, another one of the uh, people in the church, Stephen, was being stoned and was giving authority to his death. He's, Paul's, Paul's there signing off on it. And this man who was totally against God has this incredible experience with God. He met Jesus face to face, so much so that he was blinded and didn't see for three days. And usually in Paul's letters, there's this like friendly banter and, he's, and then he's some thanksgiving and spends a, a while encouraging them and thanking God for what God's doing in their lives. But not this time. You know something's coming because Paul's not got any time in this letter for niceties or, or, or for, um, you know, just thanksgiving or friendly encouragements along the way. I think what he's doing at the beginning, he's setting them up because he's letting them know, listen, this is a letter with a bit of authority stamped on it because I got some serious things to tell you. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's almost like he's coming, coming down a little bit like a parent with authority. No welcome, no thanksgiving, no niceties to draw people or woo them in. And he just reminds everybody about what he's about. He lets them know that he's the authority directly from God. Like we've got a lot of parents uh, at Anthem of young children. And if you're a parent watching, you know that sometimes 
you need to make it absolutely clear that you're the, or at least I hope you do because it's a, a part of the way that we, we raise uh, children that know how to behave and know how to respond to our authority. But we let them know, I'm the authority here. I'm the person who's making the decision. This isn't a negotiation. One of the, the worst things that I see sometimes is parents negotiating and dialoguing de and debating with their young children when it needs to be clear that like, no, I'm the authority. I'm the parent and you're the child. And Paul's kind of almost got this posture of, listen, guys, listen to me. I was sent by God. And then he reminds everybody about what all this being sent by God business is all about. And in verse three, he says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins <clears throat> to rescue us from the present evil age. You know, it says he gave, he gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Like, I don't know if you, uh, whenever you, you watch this, if ever you, like, if you're on church online, you can look down uh, at Galatians chapter one and verses one, two, three, as we're reading this, you can see that on church online. If you're watching on Facebook and you want to move to church online, you can do that uh, just by going to our website and click watch the service and it will bring up church online for you and you can do it uh, there as well. You can actually read uh, on you version what we're actually reading at the beginning of the book of Galatians. But wherever you're at, grab a Bible and take a look at this. And, that, and, he, and Paul just reminds people in this, this verse, verse, verse 4, he says, He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Paul wants to just to remind everybody, listen, listen, folks, like just as a, as a reminder, before I get to say what I'm going to say, remember that Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is the one that gave himself he, he is the gift of salvation that you and I just have to receive that gift. It's not anything we have to do with it. We have to figure it out. We don't have to you know, know what it's for or how it works. We've just got to receive the gift that, that God is giving us. And usually there's this, there's this element of encouragement and support, but you might say that Paul's tone as you start reading this through is pretty strong, pretty harsh, pretty strong. He's just going to set up for what's coming next. He talks about this, this person who gave himself um, uh, to rescue from our sins. You know, we, we need Jesus. We need a savior to save us. And there's a little reminder there. You know, Tim Keller says that uh, if you see somebody drowning, you don't, throw them a you don't throw them a book on how to swim. You know, what they need at that point is a savior. And we essentially, without Christ, we're drowning. We're drowning in our sin and we have no way to get it out. And the only solution is Jesus Christ. And then for the next few verses, Paul just gets into this serious conversation that he wants to sort of get started here with the, the, with the Galatian churches. Because something's taken place to veer these people off course. And Paul is extremely concerned about it. And I almost wonder whether he, he like, suddenly had to get his scroll and a, and a, and a, way, to, a way to write. He's like, I got to get this letter in the hands of these churches because they need this information from me quick. Galatians 1 verse 6, he says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
So, you know, as you can see, Paul, Paul's like, he hasn't got time for niceties. He's right into it. He's like, I am astonished. He's like, I can't believe that after such a short space of time of being brought into complete freedom through Christ, you would abandon your freedom and, and go off on some, we call it like some other gospel, which if it's not the gospel of Jesus, then it's, it's no gospel at all. It's, there's only one gospel, and that's the good news that Christ came to free us from our sin and to be our savior from this evil world. And he's just like, I'm, I'm astonished. I can't believe it. In England, we'd say, I'm gobsmacked. He's like, which, you know, you're hit in the mouth as a result of it. Like, you're, you're just blown away by the fact that, that these, he's, he's amazed that these people would take an alternate route, having experienced the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. So he's, he's preached in these communities, he's met these people, he's been in their region, he's started these churches, and then later he's heard that someone has gone in and has perverted the gospel and has diverted the attention of the followers of Jesus to, to just Jesus, to sort of Jesus plus something else. I wonder what Jesus would say if he dropped in on our lives. I mean, I'm not comparing what the Apostle Paul did to what we did with starting Anthem. But if, if I left and came back 10 years ago and it was a, a cult, I'd be seriously concerned. Um, but I wonder what would happen if, if, if Christ took a look at our lives today in a, in, a, in a way that perhaps you weren't expecting. And would he be saying, I'm astonished that though you once knew and though you once stayed true and though you once stayed firm to the course and the track that you were on in following Christ, that you've you veered off just with one degree of difference or that you've got despondent in an area of your life when you're kind of like closing God out of that area. I wonder if there's any areas in our lives where Jesus would say, I'm astonished that you've deserted, that you've kind of transposed from where you were going into something different. Is there any area of my life where Jesus would come and say, I'm astonished, I'm shocked, and I... I I implore you to, to, to get back to the center, to get back to true north. And in their case, it was a bit of like they, they'd moved from just, just this relationship with Jesus to Jesus plus some Jewish legalism. And we're going to go into that a little bit more in the next few days, in the next, uh, uh, in future weeks. But they'd, this group called Judaizers who were specifically trying to ad adhere to the Jewish rules were trying to make Christianity sort of overlaid on top of their Jewishness rather than be, it, be a relationship with God based on faith in Christ. They were doing that plus adding, making the, 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 the Christians in the, or encouraging the Christians in the churches in Galatia to do that and do their kind of Jewish uh, festivals and their Jewish laws as well. And so uh, he, he made it really clear in verse 8. And he says, like, like just, just so that you're clear in future. If, if we, but if even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. That's pretty serious language. He's saying to these guys, if, if anybody comes, even if it's like with an explosion, of a, an explosion of an angel from heaven arriving in your room one night, I mean, first, first of all, you'd be shocked there's an angel in your room, but second, don't listen to them if they're preaching anything other than Christ, because it's Christ or nothing. And then in verse 9, he says, as we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, 
let them be under God's curse. It's not, it's not Jesus plus someone else's ideas. It's not Jesus uh, plus some, some legalistic rules you've got to follow on the way. It's not Jesus plus, oh, if you follow me, you'll get to be rich. It's not Jesus plus um, living a righteous life will get you into heaven. It's not, it's just Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing. And that's, that's the message. That's kind of like the heart of this reason why a couple of thousand years ago, Paul sat down and he wrote a letter, went through the arduous task in those days of writing a letter to a province of churches hundreds of miles away because he'd heard they're trying to veer them off from what God was calling them to in the first place because the relationship that God wants uh, with us is not based on us trying to fulfill a bunch of rules. Some of us have come out of religious traditions where it might not be explicitly described, but maybe it's sort of implicit and you, you just know that you've got to uphold some things. You've got, to, you've got to fulfill certain duties in order to be made righteous. Whereas the, the gospel, the New Testament makes it clear, it is a relationship with Jesus based on his work as our savior plus nothing else. It's not Jesus plus someone else's ideas. It's Jesus plus nothing. I really think it's uh, interesting that if, uh, and if you've got your Bible open, like look at verses 8 and verses 9. It's almost an absolute repeat of each other. Paul starts out saying, you know, if we are an angel from heaven should preach any other gospel, let them be cursed. And then in nine, verse 9 he says, as we've already said in the previous verse, so we'll say it again. If anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Now, again, parents, if you've got kids, you know what it's like and I know what it's like to be saying, all right, kids, tonight you've got you to do your homework and you've got to do the dishes. And, um, and if, you're, if you're not sure if they heard you, sometimes you'll say it right away again. What did I say? We, we're doing homework and then you're doing the dishes or something like that. And, and you're like, Come, you might even say it a third time and have them repeat it back. Okay, dad, we got it. We're going to watch TV and we're going to eat ice cream. No, you're going to do your homework and do the dishes. It's... It's that simple, but Paul knows right here, he's got to get this message across to these people really clearly. Like, listen, guys, if an angel from heaven flies through the roof and, and there's smoke and lights in your bedroom, don't listen to him unless he's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think Paul knows he's being sharp, and I think he knows he's being firm, and I think he knows he's being strong. Because in verse 10, it's almost like he wraps it up. And he just says, am I trying to uh, win the approval of human beings or God? Because he's probably not winning anyone's attention at this point or winning anyone's popularity by being strong with them. He said, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I wouldn't even be a servant of Christ. And I wonder if Paul's making that point because, because you know, he knows he might be uh, speaking strongly, speaking harshly. Maybe he's not pleasing everybody he's talking to. Maybe there's some people that some want to go off onto this other, route, uh, this other route still and not be thinking of this Jesus plus nothing message. But I think Paul also knows that, that this is all, it's all wrapped up in the same thing. That we are not here to, to uh, get approval from one another. We're not here to get, to get our uh, approval from, from other people. We don't do things for God's approval. We live 
from God's approval because God has already accepted us, right? If you've, made, if you've accepted Christ as your saviour, he accepts us. And we don't have to live for, uh, for God's approval or to try and access God's approval or man's approval in any other way. It can be such a snare to try and, and live for people's approval. And the, 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 I, to, I was going to say the job of the Christian, but the privilege of the Christian is to live in freedom. Recognize that the, the scars that Christ took for us mean that we don't have to live for anybody's approval, not even man's or, or God's, because God approves of those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. Uh, as, I, as I wrap this up, I just want to share a, a, a bit of my own personal uh, story. About 20 years ago, just lying on the sofa watching some TV, and my heart started fluttering. And I thought that was weird. I'd never experienced something like that before. And it turned out that I was going to suffer for the, about the next couple of decades with atrial fibrillation, which is uh, an irregular or rapid heartbeat uh, that just kind of comes and goes whenever it wants. And it can lead to blood clots or strokes or all kinds of heart problems. So it's the sort of thing that if your heart goes into AFib, uh, which is often called, you, you want to get to the hospital right away. And so for, for quite some time, for a number of years, they would keep me in hospital for a couple of nights when this would happen. It would happen like two or three times a year. It got really frustrating because you never knew when it was going to happen. They'd keep me in, hospital for, in the hospital for a while. They'd put me on a drip. They'd try medication. They'd try putting me on meds um, outside of the hospital. And um, oh, it was, it was so frustrating because it would happen while I was out for dinner. It happened when I was speaking in church once. It would happen, happen when I was in Mexico on vacation. Just like you never knew when it was coming. And once or twice a year, sure enough, I'd tell Liz, oh, I can feel my heart and it's gone into AFib and we'd have to rush to the hospital. And, um, and after a while, the, the treatment style for this problem kind of changed over the years and they got more akin to cardioverting me. You know, 1.21 gigawatts um, through me. Put, they put you to sleep first. It wasn't like an emergency situation, although you did always get to the front of the queue in the uh, emergency room, which was nice. Um, but they, they, they'd lay me down, put me to sleep for, for five minutes, and then shock me. And then you wake up and your heart is back in a normal sinus rhythm again. I've actually got video of it that I won't, I won't put you through that today, but Liz was in the room once when they did it, which was awesome. Um, but eventually, uh, a couple of years ago, after a couple of decades of this and other procedures uh, being developed, they did a procedure on my heart called a cryoballoon ablation, where they basically go through your femoral artery up to your heart, and then they find the vein or vessel, or the, I think it's the vein that is, that is triggering the wrong electrical impulses. And they blow a balloon in front of that vein to close it off. They blow up this tiny, tiny balloon, expand it, and so they block off that vein that's causing the trouble inside the heart. And then through the middle of that balloon, they push a tube through that into this now blocked off vein that is filled with liquid nitrogen. And they, they blow liquid nitrogen across, onto, this, onto the tissue in that vein and scar it. They, the liquid, it's, it's official. I'm officially cold-hearted because I've had liquid nitrogen blown in there. But they, they basically scar the... The, uh, the tissue around that, uh, that, that vein so that it can't function anymore. And it, it's essentially closed off. 
And so for the last year or two, I haven't had any atrial fibrillation episodes. It feels like it's, I went for a three mile run the other day, other than being freezing and exhausted and I'm still achy from it, it didn't, it, you know, didn't impact me in any way at all. But the scars inside my heart that are there have led to a complete and total freedom. You know, it would be, it would be dumb if now that I'd had this thing take a place, I carried on taking meds and trying these other sort of uh, treatments that they've, they've worked for a while but never worked permanently. It would be dumb if I tried that knowing that the scars had already resulted in the atrial fibrillation not going to happen anymore. I want to tell you today that the scars that Jesus bore in his hands and his feet, the death that Jesus went through, enables us to live completely free. We haven't got to think, what have I got to do to gain uh, acceptance from God? What have I got to do to gain acceptance from other people? What have I got to do to please God? He's already pleased with us because He's pleased with Christ and we are in Christ because the scars that Jesus bore on his hand have bought freedom for you and I.